these are people that have grown up with a device in their hand. I believe in the next three to five years, every single part of our personal lives and our professional lives will have AI incorporated in some way, shape or form. So the more that we actually employ these younger generations, they can help push the company towards a digital environment. Welcome to Upon Arrival, a show that uncovers stories and strategies that make up all the moving parts of business events tourism with me, Adelaine Ung. An office? What's that? Might be the corporate joke of the pandemic. For most people, it's a pretty harmless jab at our changed working norms. But could the absence of checking into offices have a different impact on the new generation of workers, the Gen Zers who graduated during COVID and never quite transitioned to a corporate culture? Well, enter the so-called battle of the generations. How do you welcome a younger workforce and manage their expectations alongside more mature workers who want to be valued for their experience? This is the first of a two-part interview on leadership with Sam Cawthorn, founder and CEO of the Speakers Institute, an Australian of the Year and Edupreneur of the Year. He has a new book called People Follow People. And in this episode, we'll first discuss the generation gap in the workplace. Sam Cawthorn, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. The battle of the generations has been a topical discussion for, I don't know, since the start of the 20th century, and yet it continues to fascinate because we think, how could people born in the same country with the same culture, just not at the same time, have such different viewpoints when it comes to work? And I'm interested to know when you entered this conversation, I mean, what first drew you to this subject? I was initially employed by the Australian federal government as a youth futurist, so basically predicting trends when it came to young people on that smoother transition from either school to either further education, training or employment. And this was like close to 20 years ago. So I've always been really fascinated in and around the generational cultural, um, you know, anthropology, all the way through to this current new generation that basically was born with a device in their hand and the way that they have actually adapted new technologies and particularly even during the the last 12 months you see the generation z just highly adaptable to the new ways of communication uh, webinars uh, digital technology and it's just been a really fascinating watching the different generational you know um, embracing the current climate what did you actually notice i mean you were in your 20s once we all were <laughs> newly entering the workforce were there differences that you were noticing even then between the generations in attitudes and expectations at work absolutely and it is mainly in and around digital and technology obviously you've got the older generation which are just so embracing of analog and that's why they love the physical face-to-face meetings conversations and obviously they're a little bit slow to take up the digital technology and artificial intelligence all the way through to AI and the like so ultimately learning how to navigate their various functions of technology being incorporated in every single part of our digital lives now. It's interesting now seeing the take-up and how fast this new generation coming through and how fast that they're taking it up. So we now have a very interesting time in modern history. We've had COVID lockdowns for a year. A whole bunch of students had to graduate via Zoom and they're now entering the workforce but not quite transitioning to the office as we've known it because of hybrid work arrangements, work from home, which is still 
quite a popular phenomenon. What do you believe is the impact of what we've been seeing and what new challenges do you think this brings to the office environment? Yeah, look, what we know is obviously these young people that are now entering into the workforce and coming into a very new world of what we even see saw just uh, 12 months ago, they really are now missing those networking opportunities, the water cooler conversations, the opportunities to connect and grow and ultimately be mentored and coached. Because obviously now we're getting on digital technology and webinar and Zoom and Skype and the like only just specifically for reasons or for meetings. It's none of that ad hoc conversations that we used to have in and around a physical workplace. And so with young people, they certainly are missing just those ad hoc conversations. And so obviously, we're trying to now find ways how we can include them in networking, online networking functions and the like. And so that's certainly something that they are missing. Yet at the same time, my encouragement even to young people coming in is how can they teach and even educate the older generations on being innovative with digital technology and how can they encourage and even educate some of the new stuff that is coming through with our technologies. Even with my young kids, I've got two teenage kids, they would regularly show me a new app or regularly show me a new way how I can even be more productive and have greater performance within myself in embracing some of the new technologies. So that is certainly really helpful and me just simply being open to learn. I think it's really important what you said because I have heard of companies when they've had to come to a really difficult decision of letting go some staff, the first ones in line to go were the ones who wouldn't or couldn't adapt to new technologies, didn't have the computer skills and weren't particularly willing to learn those skills. Those were the first to go. It's really important that we be agile and learn as much as we can and be as valuable as we can, I guess, to the workplace or the marketplace. The new research shows, and I'll just qualify that this is American research, shows that 76% of Gen Zers who are recent graduates and didn't transition to an office because of lockdowns, they expect a promotion after their first year of employment, which might seem a bit demanding to older generations of workers. I mean, Even in my own history of employment, a promotion in your title and responsibilities would definitely take longer than a year. And if you did get it within a year, people would think that there was some hanky-panky going on. It was treated as suspicious. How do you manage these different expectations in an office? Ultimately, our Gen Zs that are coming through and, and millennials, these people here, their attention spans are very short. So what that then means is what are we doing to keep their attention? What are we doing to ensure that they actually do have a career pathway and even show to them that if they achieve this within a certain period of time, then they can get this. If this, then that. So the more that we're always talking to them in and around their career pathway to keep their attention so they don't move on. You know, look, the reality is the workplace has massively changed in the last 20 years, you know, 20, 30 years ago, an average human had two to three 
three career paths. Nowadays, an average human that's entering in the workforce might have two to three career paths each year. What we now need to understand is that one of the main reasons is because our attention spans are shorter today than what they ever have been. Actually, it's quite interesting. Randstad did a study around 30 years ago that that showed that the average human being attention span was anywhere around 20 to 30 seconds. They did the same study seven years ago that showed the average human being attention span was anywhere between seven to nine seconds shorter than a goldfish. But get this ready. (laughs) The average human being attention span is today three seconds. Seriously, (gasps) social media and now giving analytics to digital marketers for anyone at all that has viewed your post three seconds or more. And one of the main reasons is when we scroll, the average human being scrolls seven miles per day. And so ultimately what we're saying here is, in this attention economy, what are we doing to win the attention of these millennials and even just encouraging them in and around keeping them stimulated within the workforce so they do have stickability? What does that mean? I mean, do I put a bowl of goldfish at their desk? <laughs> uh, look, within my company, I hire around uh, 90 people. We have oversee around 400 volunteers. And ultimately, all it is is just simply checking in with them regularly. How are you going? Here's some of the innovatives that are happening within the organisation. These are various opportunities that they do have. So as long as there is that general KPI meeting every quarter to keeping them stimulated, motivated in order for where they are heading, I think just in general checking in regularly is going to be a pivotal for their stickability. With all the um, new challenges with Gen Z, some bosses might think that hiring Gen Z might be a, a bit of a liability. The cultural shift needed is not worth the pain. What does Gen Z, you think, bring to the table that the other generations don't, apart yeah. from youth? Yeah. <laughs> Look, everything is in and around technology, digital. These are people that have grown up with a device in their hand. And so ultimately, the way that they can pick up a device, the way that they can innovative into the workforce is going to be pivotal. I believe in the next three to five years, we'll have everything AI. Every single part of our personal lives and our professional lives will have AI incorporated in some way, shape or form. So the more that we actually employ these younger generations, they can help push the company towards a digital environment moving forward. And certainly over the last 12 months with COVID, this has even fast-tracked the digital uptake of all organisations. So the more that we are employing our young people to even head up the innovation in and around our digital you know, revolution will certainly help us to gain the information but then execute from a digital point of view. If I can just tap into what you brought up about AI, I think this is an area of fascination as well. I've seen a couple of things where I'm just gobsmacked by what AI can do and how it's changing the way we work. But for a lot of people who have heard about AI but don't really have an idea of how this can massively change the way we do things, can you give us a teaser of what research or case studies, examples you've seen that you think we really need to be aware of? Yeah, look, and I'll answer that in in a couple of ways. Uh, the first way is most people are in a way a little bit scared of AI and mainly because of the movies that we've watched for the last 20 years. Terminator. Yeah, we, we see AI take over humanity. 
I truly believe AI will only help and assist humanity moving forward. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. One is in and around data collection. AI is absolutely brilliant to actually inform us in a way so we can make more informed decisions to improve our own life, to improve our productivity, our performance, and so on and so forth. However, on the flip side of this, AI will always trump a human being on research, data, evidence-based approach in any of our communication. However, us as human beings, we are emotional creatures. And so the more that we need to understand how to evoke emotion into the listener in order for us to win their attention, it's going to be pivotal to our own personal success. So our own personal growth needs to be how can we be in the business of emotion in order to influence other people, but also at the same time, how can we truly understand how we can make AI work for us and not against us, how they can improve our life and not make it more complicated. And so this radical simplicity of our personal lives is going to be pivotal to our success. And more and more, the demand on us to be polymaths, to be a jack of all trade for us to learn multiple different things, but make it really easy for us to learn is going to be pivotal for our success moving forward. I think you're very right on that. Back to Gen Zers, there is also the belief that many Gen Zers eventually want to start their own thing. What they learn from you sooner rather than later, they will take away with them. And without all your investment of time and training and experience that they gained with you, because they see themselves as entrepreneurs. Is that a fair call? Yes, and though at the same time, there is always a way that they do need to learn and grow as individuals. And the more wisdom that we impart to them, the greater it is for this new generation to actually move humanity forward. And so I truly also believe we do need to spend time with them to educate them and to empower them, to encourage them and to inform them. We still have the wisdom of our experience. They have the skill of their technologies. And by marrying those two together, I think it's going to be a great conversation. And so as long as we keep the conversation alive and give them room to both improve, but also to educate, empower and share wisdom is going to be the pivotal ingredient for an organization moving forward. Is that enough to grow their loyalty to the organization, if that's what you want to do? Loyalty is a really big thing, particularly with every single leader, manager and the like. And loyalty is attractive. One thing I love about loyalty is loyalty for me is both stickability, but it's also people that have actually got my back. And so the more that we can showcase that we are trustworthy, the more that we can showcase that we are someone that is easily approachable, the more that people are leaning to those type of people. So loyalty is attractive and it's certainly something I talk a lot about in my latest book. My latest book is in and around the profile economy and how people follow people. We have lost our trust in brands, companies, logos, governments, organizations, media. And so now we're following human beings. 95% of all content that is consumed on line is from an individual it's from a human being whereas we follow people that we like and trust and so then the key thing here is how can we be a person trustworthy how can we be a person that we can be likable and trust and so ultimately loyalty is a big part of that conversation 
I think a lot of leaders are on that journey now of how I can grow that trust factor publicly. And they've never had to do that before and COVID changed everything. What are some tips you might have for people who are just starting out and trying to figure this out? They don't want to look stupid online. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting about this whole era of what we look like and looking stupid, though at the same time, I believe uh, character will trump charisma. So charisma is that getting high levels of communication, knowing exactly how to woo someone's attention, having that level of charisma that you become likable and people like connecting with you. But can you back that up with morals, with integrity, with truth? So that's what character is. So for me, As an employer, I always look for character within a human being before charisma. So character before charisma is my number one principle. Actually, it's also the first chapter of my book as well. So how can we be that person that, yes, can be both likable but also trustworthy as well? I think you identified 12 characteristics of influential leaders in your book. So you've named your first one. What would you say are the two other most important ones? Yeah, so one is vision before mission and the other is story before data. So vision before mission, vision is in and around where you're heading, what's your destiny, what's your purpose, why do you wake up of the morning each and every day? Our mission is what we do each day. Our vision is where we're heading. So the more we have a vision, the more we have a purpose, the more we have a destiny, the more that we can actually be more productive each and every day. So vision before mission is imperative. And your vision can change. That's absolutely fine. We go through seasons, but ultimately make a decision for your vision now. You know, the word decision comes from the Latin word deserate, incision. Cision means to cut. And the word decide, the word side, suicide, pesticide, the word side means to kill. So get this, the word decision means to cut off and kill. So the more that we can make a decision in and around where our vision is, it's going to be pivotal to our success. So the first one is vision before mission. Second one is story before data. Data is super important. We've already had a conversation in and around the importance of data, intelligence in order for us to be more productive and have greater performance within our teams. However, a story comes in two parts. The stories that we tell ourselves if we're not good enough or if we're worthy or not, but also the stories that we share with other people. We as human beings, we're hardwired through narrative. We love story. We love inspiring stories in the movies. We love reading great stories, but also we need to be great storytellers. So the more that we can include story in our everyday conversation, in a pitch, in a presentation, it's going to be pivotal to our future success. I think we're going to tap more into your brain as to some tips and tricks as to how we do story. That's another area I think a lot of us would like to grow in. So looking forward to that. Which current leader do you think is the most underestimated for their impact and influence? Yeah, so one person that really sticks out for me is a guy by the name of Brian Houston. He runs a large uh, religious organization. But one thing I like about him is that he's been consistent over 30 years. He's had his highs and his lows, but he's still been a consistent leader. He's also actually runs the largest annual conference in the Southern Hemisphere, the largest annual conference in the Northern Hemisphere. He runs the largest annual gatherings and events. So He's the leader of Hillsong, is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So he actually oversees a a big religious Christian movement called Hillsong. And whether you're into that or not, you've got to give it to the bloke that he's been consistent over a long period of time and continues to grow and develop in his both his leadership and his influence. 
Fantastic. Any other trends in leadership that you're noticing? Has COVID actually changed anything or do you think leadership values stay constant no matter what the environment? Yeah, certainly leadership values certainly do always um, stay constant. However, as I was saying earlier on, we've now moved away from following brands and companies and logos and now we're moving more towards following humans. You know, we attribute Elon Musk to Tesla. We attribute Virgin through to Richard Branson and we attribute Steve to Apple. So it's really interesting. The more that we are growing our own personal profile, I believe our face is our number one visual asset, not our company logo, not our product or our brand, our actual brand is our face. We are in the midst of the profile economy. And if you're not building your own personal profile as your own personal brand, then you're going to miss the boat. So I believe our greatest piece of real estate is ourname.com, not our company name or anything. And, And even if you are an employee, ultimately people follow people. It is time for people to be recognized because if you're not building your profile, then someone else in your industry is. And ultimately, before you know it, everyone's now going to listen to them rather than you. And they might not even have as many skills as you, but they were bold enough to build their own profile. That is so true. And I think many of us are thinking we have a bit of homework to do on our profiles. It's one of those things that many of us neglect. And it is easy to neglect when you've got a whole bunch of other things to do. It's one of those things that we don't prioritize enough. Sam, great to pick your brain. Your book is People Follow People. I'll put some links in the show notes, but I look forward to the next episode where we hear your story about how you ended up being in this leadership and also presenting space, which is a massive or almost core part of what you do. So I'm excited about that. Very good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the conversation, it would mean so much if you'd spare a moment to subscribe, review and rate the show. And join me again next week when I bring you part two of our conversation on leadership with a focus on how to present on stage or in front of a camera. Sam Cawthorn, after all, is the founder of the Speakers Institute, which trains thousands of people around the world to share their message. Until next week, here's to uncovering more stories and strategies for a successful future.